Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, January 30th. Listeners, did you watch the video of the police killing Tyree Nichols? How did you decide whether to subject yourself to that or not? Did you want to bear witness? Did you not want to traumatize yourself? Did you go to a protest this weekend? And for anyone listening who works in law enforcement, this includes you. Did you watch the video? What are you thinking today when incidents of unnecessary police violence are revealed? uh, What does it do to your job if you're a current law enforcement officer or to the reputation of your profession if you're a retired one? And about Tyree Nichols, He was not just a black motorist, right? People say black motorist, Tyree Nichols. He was a 29-year-old man, an avid skateboarder who enjoyed photography, a native Californian who called Memphis home. I read that he went there to make ends meet. An essential worker. How about calling him that? A driver for FedEx. Did you know that was his job? The kind of job where he would have had to go out early in the pandemic for the sake of people with more privilege who got to stay home. And the father of a four-year-old. So I think it's sad and a little dehumanizing that many news reports just call him black motorist Tyree Nichols. He was so much more. You know by now that on January 7th, blocks from his home, he was stopped by in his car by Memphis police officers Minutes later, he was beaten so violently, he was rendered unrecognizable, and days later, later Nichols was dead. Uh, You must know by now that five Memphis officers were fired by the department and now charged with one count of second-degree murder, one count of aggravated assault, two counts of aggravated kidnapping, kidnapping, two counts of official misconduct, and one count of official oppression. That's that's a criminal charge, official oppression. A statement from the NAACP Legal Defense Fund President and Director Counsel Janae Nelson reads, the sustained and sadistic attack on Mr. Nichols puts a spotlight on a law enforcement culture of violence that cannot be divorced from the ways law enforcement routinely undermines the public safety of black people. So joining me now to talk about Obviously, this deeply upsetting incident, but also where we go from here is Janae Nelson, President and Director Counsel of the Legal Defense Fund. Um, Ms. Nelson, thank you for coming on. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you, Brian. Um, I, I guess we could start, uh, well, maybe we should start on, on some details of the case before we get into the questions of systemic versus bad apples and what kinds of change are needed. Um, I read your five-tweet thread that you released over the weekend and some of the questions in that thread. Why should we see race as a factor? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to look up the exact questions. Uh, You raised questions in that tweet thread, I apologize, that you say are unanswered in this case. What are some of those important questions? 
Yeah, I think there are a lot of questions, right? We should be asking ourselves, how is it possible that we live in a society where someone could be so brutally and viciously and sadistically beaten to death? And the questions that I posed over the weekend were about who else was involved? What enabled this to happen? Who were the other actors in the timeline of events that led to this horrific incident that we should be interrogating? Who received the complaints about the Scorpion unit that we know is at the center of this attack in the days, months leading up to this moment? Were they followed up on? Who was responsible for uh, following up to see if there were any actors in that unit that required some sort of oversight or discipline or sanction? Um, what did the first responders do? Did they wait too long? Did they uh, flag when Mr. Nichols arrived at the hospital that something odd was presenting in terms of how he showed up, clearly beaten nearly to death at that point? There are just so many questions that swirl that make me wonder about the, uh, I, I guess the inability for so many actors in the chain of events to see the humanity of black people, to see the urgency of the complaints and the concerns that might have been lodged. And I am asking that there be a full investigation of every individual, every actor, every system that played a role in the death of Mr. Nichols. One of the questions you asked, because now I have the Twitter thread in front of me. Forgive me for not having it when I started the question. No problem. Who processed the police report, and what did they know of the incident when they did it? Who did intake at the hospital? Was anything suspicious that they should have reported and didn't? And those questions go to the possibility of a cover-up in the initial phases after the beating, right? That's right. That's right. I think that, you know, this was such an outrageous incident that there was there were opportunities along the way to intervene, to flag it. And as far as I know, I, I believe that there have been many complaints about the Scorpion unit leading up to this moment. So we know from news accounts that there was a motorist a few days earlier who complained about this very unit and said that they were subject to um, thankfully not as as severe an attack, but you know some some interaction that was inappropriate for a basic traffic stop, and I wonder had that complaint been followed up on, had there been some investigation of that, would we be in a very different position in this moment? Would Tyree Nichols still be alive? Um, why should we see race as a factor? even though the officers were black? Some people are asking that question. Yeah, this question has surfaced um, a lot in, in the wake of, of this and, and, and seeing who the primary uh, persons in the attack were. And I, and I guess I asked the question back, and that is when we know that our policing system has anti-black racist origins, what have we done to purge it? of that taint? What have we done to sanitize, to uh, replace the original system with something new that recognizes the dignity and value of Black life? We've done nothing to do that. We really haven't. We've just continued 
to allow this system to evolve. We've added trainings. We've uh, we've sort of nibbled at the edges in ways to rehabilitate it. But its origins are there. Uh, they center on black criminality, the the myth of black criminality. And so it's no wonder that any actor who is part of that system, who's trained in that system, who's bred through that system, would perpetuate that same prejudice and bias and hatred. And I think that's what we saw manifesting in the attack against Tyree Nichols. There's certainly a suspicion, at least, that these officers were trained to behave like this, because if you have one police officer doing something, that's one police officer. If you have two police officers doing something, that's two police officers. If you have five police officers and they're all doing the same thing that just about everybody in the world considers heinous, then you wonder if there is something systemic going on, at very least in that department and with its training. I think that's right. There's 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 clearly uh, something that a, a sort of code and and a, and a group thinking that took over uh, in that incident, and that seems to be not isolated to Tyree Nichols. I think his death was probably the most you know egregious form of that abusive. Uh, uh, the abuse of power, but I don't think that it is isolated. From from what we understand, this unit has been a menace in the Memphis community for the 14 months that it was in existence, and so there's something about the the uh, the either the the culture or the training or the way in which they have been uh, deputized to feel that they do not have to have any regard for the rights and the the dignity and humanity of the community of Memphis that uh, showed up in the interaction with Tyree Nichols. And that unit that you referred to, which the police chief has now announced will be disbanded, uh, the Scorpion team, they call it Scorpion, an acronym for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Why would that unit be doing traffic enforcement? Yet another question, <laughs> right? I could have yeah. added that to my to my thread. Um, it, it's 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 anyone's wonder why Mr. Nichols was stopped in the first place. Um, all of the allegations seem to be unsubstantiated in this moment in terms of why he was pulled over, and even if they were right. So the suggestion that he was driving erratically, if that were the case, that does not justify the response, um, the the attack, the, the violence that was visited upon him when he was pulled over. So even if we take them at their word, and there's been no evidence that we should, but even if we do, there's no need to have 10 officers come to a scene where a defenseless, unarmed person is being interrogated and at that point beaten by other officers. I want to play a clip and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Uh, in my 36 years, um, George, I, I would have to say I don't think I've ever been more horrified and, um, and disgusted, uh, um, sad. That was the police chief of Memphis, C.J. Davis, on ABC's Good Morning America on Friday. Attorney for the family, Ben Crump, referred to the police chief when he was on CNN State of the Union 
yesterday. Immediately and swiftly, the police chief said that the community needed to see swift action. They needed to see swift justice when it was these five black police officers caught committing a crime on tape. Well, in our community, we say this is the blueprint going forward. Mm -hmm. Whether the officers are black or white, we expect to see swift action and swift justice, even if it's a white police officer that abuse us. Ben Crump on CNN. We continue with Janae Nelson, president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Do you have reason to believe that the charges and the firings came so swiftly in this case because the police officers were black and there wouldn't have been the same response from the city of Memphis had the police officers been white? Brian, all I can say is if we look at other scenarios where there have been egregious attacks on black people by police and the officers were white, and we look at how much protest demand um, had to occur before charges were brought, I think that helps to answer the question. I can't say for certain in this case whether that was uh, the motivating factor. I, I believe that race plays a role in in so much of our public life that it's uh, it would be unsurprising to me that it did play a role here. Um, I do think that the severity of the attack was so clear cut um, that it was it was hard to imagine how charges would not be brought and why they would not be brought swiftly. But I, but I imagine that if these were white officers, we might be asking the question as to whether they were justified in doing what they were doing, whether he did, in fact, uh, do anything to provoke the attack. I think we we question the innocence of white officers in a different way than we do black people generally, whether they are law enforcement officers or not. So I'm, I'm sure race played some role, but the severity of the attack did as well. Do you think that we're seeing real change on how police officers are held accountable uh, and how quickly that will deter this kind of behavior in others in multiple cities? Well, I think we're seeing um, a bit of a change because we're seeing more evidence of it. So the footage is undeniable. It is clear. There's little to question about what happened to Mr. Nichols. And similarly, when we see other attacks of this nature and they're caught on camera, um, it, it's hard to deny it. But we do know that there are many instances where um, people are harassed, uh, beaten, and otherwise brutalized by police, and it's not captured in this way. I think that the footage makes a significant difference in helping to aid the cause of um, ensuring that we have more accountability of police. But even with the footage, as, as I mentioned, there's still uh, a significant amount of resistance to charging officers for this type of conduct. And then, of course, we run up against the issue of qualified immunity, whether they, in fact, can mount a defense and say that as officers, they should be protected and have an automatic defense uh, from liability or, or culpability because they are law enforcement and there's a, a doctrine of law that protects them from prosecution. Listener tweets, respectfully framing this discussion around unnecessary acts of police violence, which was a phrase I used, 
is unhelpful and misrepresents what law enforcement is here to do. They forcefully manage inequality. What the video showed was actually very ordinary. This is what cops do. How much do you agree with that statement? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I fully understand what, what's being said. If the argument is that this is what we train police to do, that they control communities, that they regulate the inequality that persists in our society, I, I agree with that. I, I think that that's spot on. Um, we don't have, many of us experience police not as protectors and persons of service, but rather uh, people who are surveilling and and uh, monitoring and controlling communities of color in particular to maintain a particular social order. And I, I suspect that might be what that comment is referring to, and I think that that's correct. Last question. Did you personally watch the video, and do you have any advice for people deciding whether or not to subject themselves? So, Brian, when I heard news that the video was coming out and we began to hear the descriptions of what it contained, I immediately sent a note to the team of people on our staff who work most closely on this issue, and I gave them explicit permission not to watch the video. Um, because I know how traumatizing it can be. Um, I did watch the video, not minute by minute, second by second, but I did watch it, fast forwarded some parts um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's kind of my job to know about the things that I talk about. So I felt um, duty bound just in terms of making sure that I was being well informed about the actual events. But I also wanted to respect the fact that the family wanted the video to be shown and that if Tyree could live and ultimately die through this attack, that I could bear witness to it. I don't think that that is the choice for everyone. I think that it is a personal one. Um, frankly, if I if I if I didn't have to watch it, I probably would elect not to because it is deeply traumatizing to do it. But um, I also watched the videos of him skating. I watched the videos of him uh, with his friends, and uh, I saw the pictures of him lifting up his child to the sky with a hopeful glint in his eye. And I feel that balancing that video with the human image of this man um, was what I needed to be able to balance those, you know, those, those feelings that it certainly evokes. And sadly, people can protect themselves from the trauma of seeing the video if they choose, but Black and brown people in America can protect themselves from the trauma of knowing that if they or if their children go out, get behind the wheel of a car, they have to be, as Reverend Al Sharpton put it, afraid of the cops and the robbers. In white communities, generally, you only have to be afraid of the bad guys, but there have been enough incidents like this that have been publicly revealed that it must seem like a game of roulette. Uh, every time someone in a vulnerable community gets gets behind a wheel uh, or even goes out for a walk. Would you, uh, would you comment on that as a last thought? 
Absolutely. And I, and I think that um, I'm glad you raised that because it is real. Uh, and, and it's important that everyone understand that that those of us who are black and brown and, and I, um, you know, in a different respect, our, our API uh, family is also experiencing the threat of violence in, in different ways. But those of us who live under the shadow of a police state that could at any moment turn against us, whether we're walking, driving, um, just living as Black people in this country, the possibility, the very real possibility that a state-sanctioned actor could decide to take our lives or um, deal with us in a way that violates our life, our dignity, is, is very possible. And I don't think other people recognize what it is to live with that threat hanging over you and the ones you love for your entire life. And that doesn't have to be. We can change that. We can make different decisions about how we allocate our taxpayer money to advance public safety. And you said something earlier, Brian, that you know communities want policing. And I want to amend that to say that communities want safety. We want public safety. We want to be secure in our bodies, in our homes. That doesn't require policing. It requires a new vision of public safety that is sensible, that is well-funded, and that is an investment in our overall security and safety and humanity. Janae Nelson, President and Director Counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Thank you so much for giving us some time on a day when obviously you would be in great demand. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.